You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. teaching text today is from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Good to see your beautiful faces. Have y'all ever like had a song that is just so good, but the words make like no sense? (laughs) I'm a big lyrics person, and um, there's one song in particular. Uh, Any P.J. Morton fans out here? Okay, thank you. Okay, I got some people here. P.J. Morton, for those of you who don't know, is a soul singer, uh, and he has. Yeah, okay. Listen to this. This is not it, but hold on. I don't know what that is. That's not P.J. Morton. (laughs) And I think we're just fine. See, what I'm trying to say is, I don't want to go through your phone. Come on. Some things are better left, I know. Anybody know this one? I'd rather keep living in my day. Okay, so here's, here's this song. It, it, see, it drops in, and it's just like, I'm in the car, and I do the lean back. <laughs> For those of you who can hear this, this song, he's literally singing about being in a relationship and how if he's in a relationship, he wouldn't go through someone's phone, his partner's phone, if he expected them to cheating because he would rather stay in the illusion of a good relationship than to know that they were cheating on him. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Somebody's gonna have to explain something to me. Like, if I got suspicions, then, you know, I'm just saying. But I love this song and it's so confusing. I've always just found it such a preposterous concept uh, that someone would wanna operate in a relationship like that, right? Well, I, I did think that until I was tasked with teaching about justice today. Um, and then I remembered as I reflected on the role that justice has played in my life, that there are many times where I have looked the other way to maintain a sense of the peace I have going on. I was out running one day. I know, it was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> This is a true story. I'm, I'm running, I'm, I'm going down Fulton Street and uh, there's a van in front of me, in front of a restaurant and they are unloading uh, 
tomato, I know it was tomato sauce, I don't know, it, they were loading these cans into the restaurant, there were these pallets. And as I'm running, a guy is just like walking in front of me and homeboy was just so smooth with it. He just reached over, took one of the pallets of tomatoes and kept walking. And it was shocking, because one, what are you gonna do with all these tomatoes? These are industrial sized tomatoes. But he just lifted up a, a crate of a little packet of these tomatoes and kept walking. And I would have thought anything before that day that I would have been the kind of person to been at least like, stop, like, no, like, hey, that dude. And honestly, I just froze. I didn't know what to do. I just kept running. And I felt so bad uh, for so long because I just, I got an honest look of myself much like I had this week in thinking that, you know, if I'm truthful, maybe that song isn't so preposterous. Maybe all the time I choose this false piece of my life, these daydreams. Perpetuating daydreams is often how my life becomes oriented when I don't bring any intention to it. And this is honestly what we're talking about here today and what we've been talking about the last uh, eight weeks and what we'll finish up with next week. We've been talking about the good way, which if you're unfamiliar to this community, it is the way in which we bring intention and order to our lives. It is the way that we pursue intimacy with Jesus. So in turn, that we will find life in him and the ability to become more radically human. That by dwelling with Jesus, as he says, that brings forth much fruit. And so we have these, these eight intentions, uh, which under them we put practices. Uh, we started with, with a life in prayer, and right now we're in a pursuit of justice and peace in all my activities. And they've been building, and, and I just want to give a word as, as you kind of think, you might have been sitting here since the start of this series and have maybe felt a little bit of a burden like, I don't know how I can maintain all of these things. The point is not when we say rule of life to keep a set of rules that you have to abide by in order to get the passing grade or to get affirmation. Rule is, is, is an old word that, that is similar to a trellis. It means this is the way that I, that I order, I, this is the things that I hang my life on so that it will grow in the direction that it grows, but in the right direction. It'll get as maybe as wild and as messy as it's gonna get, but it's going in the right direction. And so I bring intention to my life. And we pick these eight intentions because we see them in the life of Jesus. And we think that if we, if we encapsulate these practices into our life, that we will find intimacy with Jesus. And again, we will become more human Put it another way, as followers of Jesus, we want our daily activities to create opportunities for other people to thrive and encounter the goodness and love of God. Anywhere that we see the image of God being marred or distorted or oppressed, we as the people of God, with love and mercy, endeavor to bring justice and peace. This is the intention and the practices that we place here. Which begs the question, like, what is justice? What do we mean by justice and peace? Well, to give you a brief overview of what we mean about biblical justice, there's all kinds of definitions for justice, but the working one that we hold here, there are three Hebrew words that together kind of give us the, the whole picture of, of justice, and that's mishpat and zedek. These are two words that are often translated justice in the Old Testament. 
And then the last word is shalom, and we're going to get to that, uh, where that means. But starting here with, with mishpat, mishpat is a Hebrew legal term. It, 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 it really means rightness and order. It's, it's the laws that were given to the people of Israel and the, and the Israelites to kind of order the way that they moved in the world, right? So with mishpat, what the real concern is equality. This is the standard by which we are all called to live, whether you are rich, poor, uh, you know, a, a foreigner or otherwise, when you are operating within the Israelite society, this is the mishpat, this is the way, this is what is right, this is what is just. Now, zedek is oftentimes translated justice, or there's a, there's a, a, a related word, zedekah, and they are both translated in the Hebrew, justice or charity. And zedek's a little harder to kind of translate for you because there is no real one-to-one -one translation to English. And that's because this word carries so many connotations and shades. It's, you know, it, it talks about things like justice, clarity, righteousness, integrity, fairness, innocence. It's related to this kind of law, but where Mishpat is concerned with equity, Zedek is concerned with, what did I say, equality, Zedek is concerned with equity. And if you don't know the difference, when we talk about equity or equality, equality means that each individual in a group gets the same thing. We give the same resources, the same opportunities. But equity recognizes that each person has different circumstances, that we don't all start from the same place. And so it allocates resources and opportunities needed so that we all end up in an equal outcome. To give you a picture of that, if you've got a fence, I can see, you know, or when I'm cooking with, uh, in the kitchen, I can see over the stove. But my son, he can and he wants to cook with me. And so I give him a stepladder so that he can reach my height and together we can see and prepare food for mom because we love her. Yeah. To see this in the scriptures, in the law of, 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 the, of the Hebrew law, there was, there was no um, prohibition against loaning, right? And even in loaning or handing out money, one could collect collateral. That was typical in the society. So, and there was also a charge that one should pay their debts if they choose to enter a, a form of, of indebtedness. So that was kind of the mishpot. If you pay, you can, if you owe, you can put up collateral, you can take collateral. But now in the collecting that loan, right, and ending that transaction, there was this sense of tzedek. And if you see this in Exodus, uh, it says this, he... Uh, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pet, pledge, return it to him by sunset because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear for I am full of tzedekah. I, this is that, that sense of this justice that I have recognizes that I have this person's cloak. What's interesting about that when you hear about a cloak, this is not the sense of this guy's got like a thousand cloaks and he brings one and he's like, can I have some money for it? But no, a cloak was the last piece that you needed in a society of, of transiency. It kept you warm at night. And so when you gave your cloak, when someone was offering their cloak as collateral, they literally had nothing else. And so here in this sense of justice, there's this recognition that yes, they owe you, and also you're not gonna be able to get it if they're frozen to death. 
there is a sense of compassion that has to come even with rightness and fairness. That God upholds his law not to hold us to it, but to hold us through it. You tracking with me? And so when we talk about justice, there is this sense of rightness, rightness with compassion, and this brings about that third word, shalom. Now, shalom uh, is a word that's translated peace in the Hebrew. But the actual, like, the, 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 the literal use of the word is that of either a brick that has zero blemishes, free of cracks, or a wall made of bricks so tightly laid that it too is free of blemishes. And so it's a, it's a picture of wholeness, a sturdiness, completeness, interconnectedness. This is shalom. And so biblical justice is the repairing of a broken shalom between people and places and things. So when we think about justice, we are asking where, where has the wholeness of God? If you were here a few weeks ago when we talked about prayer, we looked at justice, we looked at shalom and that peace through the lens of boys to men. Uh, high scholarship, in my opinion. When we talked about how things are in harmony, when they're when they're like those tight voices put together, this is shalom. And what injustice does is it breaks down those voices. It, puts, it makes things discordant. And so a pursuit of justice is to bring things back into alignment and back into harmony. And this takes us to our verse. Micah the prophet is writing to the people of Israel and he's relaying the word of God. And these are people who've been trying to follow this, this law and yet they keep failing at it. And so Micah writes to them and he says, hey, listen, you're, you're wondering about whether you should like bring your rams or whether you should bring your, your peace offerings and whether you should continue with all these like sacrifices. But get this, it's not found in these religious rituals. What God has called you to, it says, to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what is good. Now that word there, good, it's, it's tov in the Hebrew. And I think for any, uh, any one who had committed the Torah to heart, that would immediately hearken them back to Genesis 1. And Genesis 2, where as the God makes the heavens and the earth, each day he says, this is tov. This is good. And on the last day, he says, this is Tov Mayo. This is the very good. And so when he says what is good, there is a, co a direct correlation back to the beginning of all things before sin entered the picture. And what was good about creation was not that its perfection was found in its finished state, Right? Creation in the garden, in Genesis 1 and 2, isn't like our, our often terms of perfection where we talk about, all right, that's perfect, don't touch it, leave it just how it is. But no, it was a sense, this is good for life. That is the standard of goodness and perfection in God's economy. 
anything that produces life and contains the potential for flourishing in it. And so another way of reading Micah 8 is this, he has told you, oh man, this is what produces life and adds to flourishing. Do justice. Love mercy and kindness. Walk humbly with your God. So as a people who are trying to move into the way of God and into the way of Jesus, we make pursuing justice and peace in our activities a cornerstone of the way that we move in the world, the intention that we bring, that we would become people who are peacemakers. It's like the song we sang this morning, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This comes from a seminal sermon of Jesus. There's a very big difference between peacekeepers, not looking through those phones, and peacemakers who call out a wrong that happens in front of them. Well, what does this look like as a rhythm? Well, I want to give you a few thoughts on that. The first thing about justice is that justice operates systemically. Right, So we can often talk about hospitality like we did last, last week, which is you know, the way in which we, we kind of offer uh, an orientation of, of love towards others. And we kind of, as we meet them, hey, as I meet you, I'm going to give you hospitality. You often hear the word mercy. Mercy is often uh, understood also as help. It's where I, I kind of come in and interpersonally I meet you and what you may need. But justice, justice is about addressing the conditions, again, about which life can grow and flourish. And so we're talking systemically, setting the conditions for peace or shalom. Now, maybe for you, the first thing that comes to mind, particularly with the news cycle that we're in now, is what this looks like nationally or internationally, right? How do we uh, seek peace in Palestine and Israel? And the reality is that in the face of, of that and other wars and conflicts across the world, we can feel kind of helpless. There's honestly just not much I personally can do to make that war cease. But justice as it deals with systems, yes, it deals with large national and international systems, but it also deals with the systems that make up those systems the ones you do know well, the ones in which you do carry a modicum of power and influence, things like your family, the system that you work in, this community. Mother Teresa says, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. And so how do we enter our systems and create rhythms by which we become agents of peace, makers of peace, makers of shalom, and by that, makers of justice. Well, I think it can start in our communities and neighborhoods. Being present to our neighbors. Frederick Buchner writes, a theologian says that the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. It is no accident the place that you live. 
And so the question is, if God has arranged for me to be there, then what in my gladness, what is it that I carry of the Lord that is here for the needs that are around me? But a part of this means opening our eyes. So maybe our rhythms becomes attending our community boards or taking neighborhood walks by which we open ourselves to the things that are happening around to our neighbors, that we are not just solely focused on moving from the train to our door and into the safety of our home. I have a good friend who recently joined up to be a, a court-appointed special advocate. Uh, if you don't know what that is, there are volunteer people who come into uh, family court and they serve as uh, guardian ad litems or advocates for children in custody situations or uh, in other family court situations. And they spend time with the children and it's, you know, it's like five hours a week. But then they come before the court and try to express, here's what would be in the best needs for this child. That is a rhythm that we can take that allows us to move and be people of peace in our neighborhood. But it is about opening our eyes, not being just hearers. As the scriptures say, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. But I would remind you that the word Logos is also the name of Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. And so another way of hearing that verse is, don't just be hearers of what Jesus is doing in your neighborhood, but join him in what he is doing in your neighborhood. Another system that we all operate in, most of us operate in, is a work system. And so the question becomes, how do we, how do we move and pursue justice and peace in my work? Maybe that looks like our integrity practices. Do I cheat the clock? Abuse work from home. Got the laptop open. Busy typing. Catching up on the Golden Bachelor. I mean, it seems harmless, right? But here's the thing about injustice. It starts small, it's insidious, it festers and it ferments. And how injustice operates on large scales is because it's already affected people on a small scale. And so in my integrity, when my integrity is compromised, it's hard for me to even see what's truly wrong or right. And so even when I see injustice, I don't see injustice. Eh, it happens. So how do we create integrity practices? Some of us have roles of power and influence in our, in our, in our companies and in our works. And how do we keep keep practices of fair and equitable work. You know, one of the things that we've, we have changed here, even in our church and in our community, 
when it comes to the times that we hire people, that we moved away from kind of like this kind of being the, the job and the voice of one person. And we've, we've spread that out, that the voices that people, when they come in and we're pursuing people, that we're kind of moving away from like any sort of nepotism or just kind of like favoritism, but that we're actually moving towards like, hey, there are more voices in this mix. And that's happening all throughout the way we lead this community. We're putting more voices in the mix. And this helps increase peace and justice because they're just honestly things that I don't see, that don't impact my life. And I'm not trying to be indifferent to it, I'm just ignorant to it. And that's okay. I can't know all things. But I do have a responsibility to bring in those who are different than me, who can cover the blind spots in my life. So what does this look like for us? The next one is our families. This one's tough. The injustice that happens in our families. This is probably the one where we can feel just the most unill-equipped. And I'm reminded of uh, Moses, actually. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Moses, uh, Moses uh, is an Israelite. He's a Hebrew, but he grew up as an Egyptian, not just any Egyptian. He grew up as a, essentially a son of the king, a grandson of the king. His, the, the, the princess, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, found Moses in a basket. And so he became a prince of Egypt. And then later, his adoptive brother uh, is ruling over Egypt and has enslaved the Israelite people. So Moses is called by God to go confront his adoptive brother. To tell him to let his people go. And the weird thing is his brother knows that Moses like one time killed a guy. So it's not like he has any leverage or some kind of moral authority over his brother. And it's interesting that when Jesus, when God calls Moses to go speak to his brother, he asks him this question. He says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And in his hand was a rod. And he said, this, my power is going to be in this rod. And through that rod, Moses throws it down and he creates snakes that swallows up uh, the, the snakes of, the, of his brother's magicians. It, he dips it in the water and turns the blood red. This staff, this, this, this ordinary staff of Moses, the Lord uses to display his power, to bring about justice and peace. It was just what was in Moses' hand. And so when we talk about how do we pursue peace and justice in our families, how do we come in with what's in our hands, with what we know to be true, knowing that the Lord will use even us, our ordinary ways, to do miraculous things? A lot of that looks like telling the truth. In my family, one of the ways that we pursue justice and peace is a practice uh, we have a, was the airing of grievances. And the role here is that we don't let injustice settle in our home. 
we don't let peace stay broken. And so we come in Friday nights, uh, part of our Sabbath ritual, roses and thorns and airing of grievances. And this is the place where we say, you, you hurt me. You shattered the peace in this house when again, you did not take out the garbage. <laughs> Purely fictional. Just. <laughs> but it's a practice that we keep. And so what does it look like to tell the truth in your home and in your families? We also have some systemic ways that we can move for families. Uh, we're going to have the serving fair after the, 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 the gathering today. And Alessandra, one of our elders, is deeply involved in safe families, working with migrant mothers and children to help bring some peace to the peace that's been shattered in their lives. And this is the way we get to show up in these systems on which these larger systems are built. So how do we become workers of justice for these people? By showing up, by telling the truth, by standing up for them and advocating for them, advocating for the least of these. Justice promotes shalom and shalom spreads truth. So how do we become people of the truth? And by truth, this is what I mean. Parker Palmer, uh, who is a uh, author, uh, theologian, he speaks of truth in his book, To Know As We Are Known. He speaks of truth in its, in its Germanic etymology, uh, troth, which is like uh, where we get betrothal. It's the thing that binds us. And so he has a conception of truth, not as that which is like this distinct, uh, immutable dact or, uh, data or fact, you know, like two plus two is four, but he speaks the truth about the things that keep us in relationship. Two plus two is four because we need that so that when you ask me for $2, I don't give you 50 cent. That you, we know that two plus two, I'm gonna give you $4, right? So this holds us in relationship. And so now if truth is that which binds us, and when Jesus says that I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says, I'm gonna lead you in the way that binds you together and that produces life. So how do we become people of the truth? How do we seek to find the things that separate us and that call us back together? Well, part of that is about learning to tell the truth about each other and ourselves. And there is a discomfort and a cost in the practices of justice because telling the truth, bringing things back into harmony they push up against the forces of evil and darkness in the world. The disunity that binds this present age. And I think that's a fair point as we're talking about, as we talk about being people of justice and carrying, and carrying practices and rhythms of justice, that we realize that what I am advocating to you, what I am calling you into, what we as a community are giving our lives to is discomfort. Some real pain. Archbishop Oscar Romero says this, a church that does not provoke any crisis, a gospel that does not unsettle anything, a word of God that does not get under anyone's skin, 
a word of God that does not touch any sin of society in which it is being proclaimed, then what kind of gospel is that? The way of Jesus agitates. And it agitates because it's trying to bring life where death exists. And so how do we learn to just tell the truth about ourselves first and foremost as that becomes the building blocks of justice? Well, this is where we enter practices of accountability, mutual confession and support. We have core groups and core groups in this community is where two or three people commit to themselves to walk with each other in life, to share their sin, to share their joys, to have a place where we can say, this is who I am fully, and that we can find the love and support of the Lord. Because here's the thing about justice. Some of these practices, we've been talking about things that we can do, but when we consider justice, some of it is found in what we need to stop doing. Practices of self-control and denial. Have you confronted the animosity and contempt that you let fester in your heart for those people who differ from, disturb, or disgust you? Have you been truthful about the biases you carry? The other that you see? Have you asked for help in that place? Have you sought prudence in our money and our time and our resources and balanced the healthy fulfillment of our pleasure with our responsibility to those with less financial time or cultural wealth? There is a call upon the people of God to take up the cause of the poor and the oppressed, the widow and the orphan, which means all my money can't be spent on lattes. My blowout may have to wait. Have we stopped conforming to the practices and the patterns of the systems you participate in and support that uphold slander, shadiness, and sinful living? That text thread where all the demeaning pictures are sent and those like funny, slanderous jokes but it's all good because they're my college buddies and it's fine and we're good guys. We're just having a little fun. And yet in those text threads become the foundation of misogyny that rot our community. The way we're mean girls and we gossip and we slander. Ah, it's just, you know, we're just having a little wine. It's fine. Rosé all day. (laughs) They'll never hear it. No harm, no foul. But here's the thing about injustice. Again, injustice is so evil because it doesn't just hurt the oppressed, but it hurts the oppressor. When we place chains on others, we place chains on ourselves. When we participate in injustice, we, we injure ourselves. And that's why we must take it seriously.
Could we instead allow Jesus through our good practices renew our minds so that we can discern what it means to live rightly? One of the ways that we receive the gospel in this community, there are seven distinctives, uh, but one of those ways is we in this community receive the gospel as liberating. We find that the gospel is calling people out of chains and oppression. And I love what James Cone, he's one of the, the fathers of liberation theology, but he has this quote, he says, the Christian community therefore is that community that freely becomes oppressed because they know that Jesus himself has defined humanity's liberation in the context of what happens to the little ones. Christians join the cause of the oppressed in the fight for justice, not because of some philosophical principle of the good or because of a religious feeling of sympathy for people in prison. Sympathy does not change the structures of injustice. The authentic identity of Christians with the poor is found in the claim which the Jesus encounter lays upon their own lifestyle, a claim that connects word Christian with the liberation of the poor. Here's the part. Christians fight not for humanity in general, but for themselves and out of their love for concrete human beings. By setting others free, I am freeing myself. Justice for them is justice for me. Jesus is bound in the poor. Matthew 25, he says, depart from me because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you did not clothe me. They're like, what? What do you mean? I just saw you. He's like, because what you did to the least of these, you did to me. Jesus identifies himself with the poor. But get this, it's not because the poor are worth more than the rich. Again, we go back to Mishpat and Zedek. The justice of God is equal. The scriptures say that God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't practice partiality. But what he's acknowledging is that Zedek for the ones who have it comfortable, Jesus does not come in comfort. The Pharisees could not hear a comforting word because all they knew was comfort. And so to them, he comes with rebuke and he comes with hard words and he comes with confusing stories that confound them, that shakes them up, that wakes them from their reality because this is what they need to enter in and to see the reality of Jesus and the life that he offers them. But for those on the underside of power, they don't need to be shaken up. They are fully aware of the things that they've done that have gotten there. They are fully aware of the systems that have, that have put these chains on them. To them, Jesus offers comfort. So that whether rich or poor, we all then find that we need Jesus. That's the equality of the gospel in its equitable fashion. This is the language of compassion. This is what justice is built upon. As you consider your life and as you consider what it means to bring practices of justice and peace in your activities, would you consider compassion? How do I suffer with? Sympathy is good to a point, but it keeps me at a distance. And he says, man, 
that looks painful. Empathy is good to a point, but it requires me to leave my own shoes and get into the shoes of another. Oh yeah, this, this feels kind of painful. Compassion allows me to stay in my shoes and move up under the pain with another. But I'll wrap us up with this. Uh, Pema Shadron, she's actually a, a Buddhist nun, but uh, she also speaks uh, to this compassion in a way that I, I love. She says that compassion is not the relationship between the, the, the healer and the wounded. But compassion is a relationship between equals. Because only when I know my own darkness well can I be present with the darkness of another. So if rightness, if peace is built on justice, rightness with compassion, and if justice is built on truth, truth finds its root in compassion where I am aware of my own brokenness and the need to be with others who are broken so that we can move upward towards the peace of God. So here's what I want to invite us into. If you would um, stand with me and I'll invite our worship team and prayer team up. Jesus in one of his teachings says, before you before you remove the speck out of your brother's eye, remove the log out of your own eye. If we are going to be people of justice in this community, then we have to start with the injustice that is within us. And this looks like confession. This looks like acknowledging where we are missing shalom in our own lives. And maybe that is a result of the things that you've done or the things that you have failed to do. Maybe you don't want to go through Injustice's phone because it's got you on speed dial. And so we confess. We name the ways in which we have been complicit and partake in injustice, perpetuating injustice. And the call of God then is to offer us into a newness of life. But maybe we're under the injustice of another. And we feel trapped. And confession can be the place where we finally do the first step of freedom from oppressive systems where we just actually name that something wrong is happening to us. So many people stay enslaved to things because they just 
haven't even just been able to name that yet. No, this is not right. And so we confess. So up here, there are going to be people who are going to stand ready to pray. And two things are going to happen. I'm going to bring a little twist to this. In a second, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to invite us to come forward and receive prayer to confess. And these people are going to, we got some anointing oils around here. Uh, I can't spend too much time on this, but in the scriptures, anointing, it's a purification rite. You place these oils as a sign of cleanliness, purity, rightness, justness. And so what's going to happen is that as you come, if you take the invitation to confess, these people will just stand ready to listen and to hear. And they may offer just a prayer of unity with you in that confession to hear it and to receive it. And then as a, as a form of blessing, there's a Galatians 5.1 is the verse I'm going to have up here on the screen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is the invitation of Jesus. It is not condemnation or sin or shame. And so if you would just like to receive this blessing, to hear someone proclaim over you the truth that you have on offer to be free, I invite you to come. And if you can't make it out of your seat, if you were to literally just open your hands out in a posture of receiving, I'm just gonna have people wandering around and they'll just come to you. So if you can't make it out of your chair, just put your hands out and, and stay standing, make sure we get you. But if you've got the strength, come and receive this blessing, confessing, confessing our sins, confessing those things which are from God. By this, we will be healed. So, Lord Jesus, lead us into your freedom. We receive and we believe. Amen. So come forward, church. Respond as you need. Raise your hands and we will come to you. Could we start the journey of justice by acknowledging the injustice within us and asking the Lord to help us?